I have to tell you, I have to, I have to come clean about something. So when, when I was sent this lovely microphone, I, I unpacked it and I, I kind of screwed it all together and I tried to turn it around and I, I may have completely ripped it in half, the, um, the little stand thing. But I thought I'd just no, tell you right now. That that's great. In, in full no. disclosure, I just have to tell you that, yeah, I am um, looking at it right it. now. You should keep it. That's uh, our gift to you. It, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Because it does look a little bit like my dog has maybe mauled the microphone. Yeah, no, don't worry about the microphone. <laughs> that's for you. And I appreciate you being so transparent because uh, we didn't see it. We never would have known. If I do that, maybe if, oh, yeah, I would have got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely would have. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by podcast producer extraordinaire, Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, how are you? I'm good. I'm warm. I'm in a new apartment. I'm Whoa, good and warm and in a new apartment. Amazing. Yes. Fantastic. Although, don't good. you need an AC over there? I feel like we don't want to be warm right now. We want to be cool. Yeah, but... As a podcast producer extraordinaire, I'm being really sensitive to the ambient noise in my room. Let that be a lesson to you, kiddos. <laughs> turn off the ACs, turn off the refrigerators, turn off the fans, sweat it out, record your heart out. That's, yes. that's how we do it here. That that's is how we do it here. That's how we do it. No, I also have the AC off and it is hot. It's serious. <laughs> it's uh, serious. So, um, yeah, but um, Sylvie, what has you talking too loud these days? What's got you excited? What has got me excited? It's kind of nerdy. Okay, ready? I got, I got a new journal. I got a new journal. What? Yes, I got a new <laughs> journal. Sometimes I write. Oh, things. okay. Okay. Yeah, sometimes I write poetry. Have you ever seen um, Wet Hot American Summer? <laughs> yes. When he says. Um, this is my this is my journal, or he calls it his girl. This is my journal. Only three <laughs> only three people can read this: me, myself, and I. <laughs> oh, I love that movie so much. Oh God, it's so Maybe good. Maybe I'll write a poem about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. you know the scene when they go to town. Oh my God! And they're like <laughs> they all two drugs. Yeah, and it's just like it's like this. It seems like it's like weeks and weeks of time, and they come back and like, man, what a couple crazy hours that was <laughs> yes. that was like the first month of the pandemic that yeah it was a little bit like that it it's was like, really was a decade that march march 2020 full decade i i mean that's also got me talking too loud i feel like there is a weird time warp happening where things are like moving very very quickly or very very slowly and i'll look at a photo and be like that was march so time time warps have time got warps. me talking too loud. Yeah. What's well, what's got you? What's got me talking too loud? Let's see. Hmm. You know, you know what has me? No. Mm, can't say that one. <laughs> NSFP. <laughs> That's it. Not, Not safe, safe for podcasts. For podcasts. Yeah. Mm -mm. Um <laughs> Well, you can stall for a minute. We can like give it a give it a beat. Yeah, let me think for a second. Let's 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 go back to your journal. <laughs> no, no, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, God, so, he's seeing too much. So, Sylvia, you have this journal. You're excited about it. What goes in the journal? What's the what are you journaling? I, I, I do. I write I write poetry and I write and sort of like. Uh, how do I explain? Like like long winded observations of things. Really? Yeah. Like of like, what? Of everything? Well, like I was just in, in Maine for a couple of weeks actually with my family, which was really beautiful and and something I didn't think we were going to be able to do this year. My sister lives out in San Francisco. She flew back to the East Coast, quarantined at home for two weeks. Um, and then the four of us, me, my sister, my mom, my dad went up there. And like I haven't, I actually haven't been able to write during the pandemic. Like it's it's been really... I feel very creatively stifled in that arena. But once I got up there, I was like, oh, listen to the loons and like watch the, <laughs> I 
I feel like such a cliche. Like, the look cry at of the, the loon spoke to you. The sunlight, like dapple across the lake. It's just, it's I, I, yeah. It, it's a nice place to do some writing. That's and awesome. So, yeah. Now you know that about me. That like, yes, I'm sassy, but I have a mushy center inside. Wow. Yeah, I guess that though. That's not that much. You did? Somebody. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You gotta, what gave that away? Uh, everything. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I think you. You seem like the type of person who has the like exterior of tough questions, talking fast, blah blah blah, to protect to protect mm. the mushy interior. Whoa, you did a deep read. That's that's you know, not wrong. That's yeah. not wrong. That's just this is Sylvie LeBeau way. Lubau. You're 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 perceptive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I said that surprisingly. <laughs> but you are, you are. But yeah, so what has me talking too loud? So I'm in Providence in my parents' house where I grew up. And the That fun- must be kind of weird. It's weird. And the funny thing about it is that everything is basically the same. You know, the same books that I was reading in high school are like on the shelves and it's all the same stuff. But we're here. Uh, with my brother and his family. It's been really fun. And I, I keep coming across these old photos that my kids are just like confused and excited by who is <laughs> in these photos and why is daddy have such bad hair and, you know, all of these things. And it's just, it's actually fun to look back and think like, I don't know, I, it's something about this pandemic. I feel like a grown up. You know, I think like I feel like I'm responsible for my family, and, you know, obviously Wistia has a lot going on. But sometimes I feel like a kid, too, when I'm I'm trying to deal with all this stuff. And um, actually, our guest today, Sydney, was talking about this, that, like, we revert back to things. And he's reverted back a little bit to, I think he said he got a BMX bike because he just needed to do that, like, childlike stuff. I'm, like, playing video games again. Didn't expect to be here. But it's, (laughs) it's happened in this pandemic. And it's just what, funny. What video game? What video game is, oh, is your go-to? Um, yeah, it's so embarrassing. It's just, but it's is for, it Duck it's, Hunt? It's Fortnite. It it's, it's Fortnite. It's the most <laughs> embarrassing of the embarrassing. But you know, when I was in high school, I played a lot of Counter Strike. I was, Counter- I was really hoping for Sims. No, Sims. no, no. I <laughs> I played a lot of Counter Strike. Have you ever heard of that in high school? Absolutely obsessed. Spent stayed up late every night playing. It was so fun. And while Fortnite's not the same, it gets a little bit of that that feeling of like running around with your friends and trying to get bad guys, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you reverted I mean, at all other than the journaling? <laughs> I felt like a like a digs. No, it's a no, I think it's it's we're going back to things that comfort us, right? You've, oh, oh, okay. You, okay you've yeah, gone back sorry, to journaling. Sorry. You I've know, gone I think forward I just, to I, Fortnite. Yeah. Clearly, I feel like self-conscious about it, and I'm just projecting that onto you. Um, no, I definitely sort of what you said before about feeling like both a grown-up and a kid really resonated with me because I feel like there's this heaviness in the air, you know, like the pandemic, obviously, the the like social upheaval because America is racist the wildfires in California, like there's a lot to kind of take in and carry. And in that sense, I feel grown up. Like I have a responsibility to think about those things critically. And then on the other hand, like when I was up in Maine with my family, you know, and with my sister, just like getting to be in our old dynamic where we talk to each other kind of in stupid voices or, you know, like all of us are playing taboo and like having laughing fits and, 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 you know, asking my dad to make us pancakes and like asking my mom to like rub my toes. Like I felt a little like a kid and, but in a nice way. Yes. Well, it's funny. I mean, I think, you know, Sydney brought that up as like a way of dealing with this. Right. And I think that's one of the things that made the conversation with him is so interesting. So let's get away from your toe rubbing and let's go right into this interview. <laughs> totally fair. Totally valid. Let's do it. Sydney, so great to meet you. Thanks for being on Talking To Lab. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you too, Chris. Um, so 
Sydney, I don't know you super well. My podcast producer, aka Sylvie, um, told me that this would be a great opportunity to try something a little different and go a little bit bold out of the gate uh, with my first question. So here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. So what's something you were insecure about as a kid, but learned to embrace as an adult? Oh, come on. It's absolute <laughs> chaos. <laughs> what was I insecure about? I mean, a lot of things. I think, oh man. Oh, okay. I know. I took, it was meaty. That's, it was uh, meaty. that's, it's like a, it's a lot. It's beyond me. <laughs> um, I guess like a lot of it is, ah, this sounds really cliche and boring, but a fear of failure. And I don't mean like, as in like, in a, in an existential way, in a more practical way. Like I teach my team and I tell everyone like, don't be worried to fuck up. Cause like I do it every week. If you, if you let yourself like be too perfect, it all goes wrong all the time. And I think when I was, when I was first starting out as a designer, I, I was just fiddling away at everything and spending hours and hours on things that just didn't matter. And now kind of pushing things really hard and throwing everything at it. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. It doesn't, doesn't matter. And I think that's a big one. And I feel and like there's so many. It's like, where do you start? Like, I, well, was, yeah, let's, I, was, a let's, I was a pretty insecure teenager. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so was I. So there's a lot of stuff to cover. So was yeah. I. Uh, but I think I like, I feel, I feel like insecure teenagers make good podcast hosts. So you're, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Locked in your closet by yourself. Don't exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were born for this really. <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot about the moment that I realized I had to fail to move forward. For me, it was in an art class actually. And midway through college decided that I wanted to do film. And if, it was like a huge change. I had been trying a lot of different stuff. I've been trying computer science. I've been trying psychology. I didn't, you know, and I, but I had this passion. I want to do this. But to do film, you had to take this intro art class. And it was like the most basic art, you know, it was drawing nudes and it was painting with, and it was charcoals, all this stuff. And I remember going into that class thinking, well, I'm not a good artist. So I just have to kind of skate by here because there's just, I'm just not good. That's what I thought. And then we had one class a week. It was a seminar. So it was like two hours and 20 minutes. Got the first assignment, which was to draw the negative space around something. It's like my favorite subject. Yes. Yes. So I, so I (laughs) attempt to draw the negative space around, there's like a it, there was a, I had this light from Ikea that had like six different, you know, like octopus legs type things coming off of it. And I hung some hangers on it and I like try to draw this thing. I thought it was pretty good. And um, so I, I spend, you know, probably two hours on it, more than I've ever spent drawing anything. And I bring this thing in, we get to class and then the teacher says, all right, we're going to have a crit. So everyone go put your picture up on the wall. Then the teacher says, all right, where do you want to start? Um, let's start with someone who, who didn't, who didn't work that hard. Like, and, and someone's like, where should we start? They, they all point to mine. And then this crit happens and it's like the most horrified, the most horrified I've ever felt. You know, it's just like, I'm absolutely devastated. Like they are just like telling everything about why my thing is so crappy. And it was, it was such a, it was such a shitty experience. And I had never felt that like public failure in that way. I feel like I was kind of a perfectionist, like hiding out, doing my own thing or procrastinating. And I, I could get away with stuff, but you couldn't get away with it here. And then I went away and they gave us the assignment for the next week. And instead of waiting till the night before is due, I started working out at that night. My fear of failure was like driving me forward. And I, you know, came in the next week again with something that was like not as horrible and people still said it was really bad, but it was just like not <laughs> as horrible. And I started to, I, it is started to realize that actually that like putting myself out there was giving me this feedback. And I was learning that art is a skill to be learned and like you could work on it. And it was this amazing moment for me and changed my entire trajectory to realize like the, that importance of failure. What's really interesting there though is like, so I have such a distinction between art and design. And that's why like you saying I spent two hours on it, I was like, that's a perfectly reasonable amount of time. That's more than (laughs) enough. Because like, if you were happy after two hours, it's fine. Design is different because design has a job, you know, design is like got a brief and design has to form a function. And if you worked for two hours and it forms its function, sick. If it's absolutely useless, then yeah, you need to be screamed at. (laughs) It's it's like two, two totally different things. Like, the idea of dressing down someone for like art is really, I find that really surprising. 
And like, I remember that at school as well. Like where someone was like, well, you've done this wrong. You're like, how can I do this wrong? I wanted yeah. to do it for me. It wasn't for you. <laughs> this is for me. Well, yeah, um, it, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience for me to realize that like there, there is a very fundamental, it's like hours, putting hours into it, you're going to get better. And I didn't really understand that difference between skills being innate and also like you could actually like improve your craft on something that's so creative. That's what I was so shocked by. Yeah, I know what you mean, actually, especially with draftsmanship, like drawing and stuff. Like, yeah. I remember um, like doing the nudes was like well, actually still one of my favorite things to do. I haven't done it for a long time, but I used to go to a, a really weird kind of vegan soup evening in London where we would draw nudes <laughs> and, and drink vegan soup. It was it was lovely. But like that, <laughs> that kind of experience, that is something you can get better at. Yeah, it's really interesting. And like, especially if you have a good teacher that's like, right, you can do this in two minutes or you can do this in eight seconds or you're going to do a continuous line. Like, that stuff's so... It wakes up another part of your brain, which even for me as a designer, I don't wake up that bit of my brain. It's really interesting. It's funny you say that because that actually, I completely forgot that when we were in there and drawing those nudes, they did that exact same thing with us. And they're like, do this in 10 seconds, do this in 30 seconds. And it does, it's a very, what you end up with is so interesting. And you're right, it's a It's a different part of the brain. It's cool. What scares me about that though, is that somewhere there is a school where people go to, to learn how to teach new drawing classes. Yes. Then that they're all told is, the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> which is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so how long have you been at Vivo? Uh, terrifyingly, I actually had to check this earlier on for some vacation stuff. I've been there for five and a half years. Okay. So this is coming up. I think this is the longest I've ever been in the same uh, company, which is surprising. That is surprising. But congrats. That's great. And tell me, what was what was the vibe like before the pandemic like what was the vibe like in the office of, of vivo it's vivo is such a complicated company because we sort of we do so many things you know like um obviously the the main people people see us from the music videos that they watch on youtube and on tv and all the rest and most of it is videos that are produced by someone else and then we monetize around those videos simple business model works really well a lot of what my team focuses on and the team around me focuses on is original content. So we make so much original content. Our vibe is just busy. Like it's, it's insanely busy. I think last year we worked out, we did something like 850 pieces of original content. That's which, amazing. Yeah. Which is fairly remarkable. Um, How big is your we team? Do it on a, uh, my team is four, but we're just the sort of, you know, we, we had the, uh, the spice on the top, but the production team overall, I think, I mean, I could be, I could be four or five people out here, but it's, I think it's about 28, 29, um, which is, it sounds like a lot, but when you're doing that many pieces of content, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. Um, and I think like when you have one of those weeks where you've got, you know, we've got two shoots in Times Square, where we've got one in Brooklyn, and then there's another team who have to go to Miami, like th there's a fresh on of like energy and excitement, which I think is really exciting. And also kind of the... It's kind of back to what we said before is like that uh, fear of failure is is omnipresent because the the best and worst thing about producing live content is everything can, will, perhaps, maybe, and does go wrong. And, and in fact, like it always, nothing ever goes to plan. That's the great thing about it. You know, like weather's shitty, it starts raining, um, the artist doesn't turn up. Um, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's a very good one. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think, I think one of the big things that I've learned, I think it's been really good at Vivo is like, when things go wrong, you don't, you don't have a breakdown. You just go, oh, okay, cool. So what do we have? Rather than saying, what don't we have? It's like, oh, cool. What do we have? Okay, we have this. Well, let's, we can pivot. That's fine. We can work with this. And I think like, we, the, the thing that's kept me at Vivo is this kind of like really great group of people who help you to pivot and help you to to really like squeeze the best out of a situation, which I really appreciate. Well, look, a question for you. I, the So you you all have been making so much original content. What is that like right now? How are you handling that in the situation we're in now? How are, are you guys still making as much stuff? I mean, we, we, we're not making as much stuff now. Oh, my dog's very angry about something. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. Um, so no, we're, we're, we're not making anywhere near as much just because um, it's just very complicated and difficult. But the thing to remember is like artists haven't stopped right now. So because artists haven't stopped, we haven't stopped. So like 
one of the things that we do with our original content is like we're there to support like an artist release campaign album whatever so they they do a music video and they do a record and it's like oh cool so we want to do like a live video to go with it come to us we do a live video great so right now like people are still releasing music so we still need to make that so the challenge to start with was like how do we make something that isn't absolute shit because Within the first three weeks, people got immediate like um, Zoom concert fatigue immediately. Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys watched any, but like the first one, you're like, oh, this is cute. The second one, you're like, okay. Third one is like, I never, ever, ever want to see someone with a guitar on Zoom ever again. Um, And the the interesting thing was that that just wasn't us in the industry. It was like, it was consumers were like, just don't want to see this. So we had to kind of think of a way of making sure our franchises even though they're at home, they still felt like, you know, we put a lot of effort into this. So basically we, we shot, I, don't, I can't remember the figure, but it's probably close on a hundred things um, oh, wow. during lockdown, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we've been doing, so our directors and producers have been directing through Zoom. They've been sending cameras and all sorts of things. And we've been doing kind of like multi, multi-cam shoots and various locations, like on Labor Day, um, the uh, production team were working in New Zealand, in inverted commas, um, shooting an amazing piece, which I cannot wait to go live because it's incredible. And as like, as at home content goes, it's like, it's in like the middle of a rainforest and it's just this stunning thing. And I think like, again, it comes back to that team where we could have done some crappy Zoom concerts and it was like, actually, no, we're better than that because we know how to do this. We can we can coach someone who's never held a camera before, who's just taken out the wrapping and is just going to hold it like shaking. So <laughs> over Zoom, there's just going to be this disembodied voice saying just like, hold it still. Like that's like, you know, <laughs> like we can do that. And I think that was really cool. But also the other thing to like, um, to add to it is like, we realized that actually design can play a crucial role right now because if we can't get artists on site, if we can't, physically stand next to the artist we can actually maybe we can do something around music videos so actually we built like a little editorial kind of like um format which basically just like tells you about music videos and that's all design based basically it's just like and then this happened because it was her childhood favorite dog and then there's an easter egg over here you should look at this look at this look at this and actually like that was really exciting and really interesting because making something out of nothing is kind of really satisfying didn't cost any money it didn't like you know it didn't it didn't it wasn't complicated but it was just like it was just there in front of us and it was like oh cool we can we can do this this is interesting that's amazing plus i mean i'm sure you i don't know if you would have been shooting in the woods of new zealand you know before this i mean it's pretty normal over there i think right now but but it's still you're absolutely right you're absolutely right we would we definitely would not have been shooting there you're 100 right and we actually talked about that it's like Although these things suck in a way, like it's kind of interesting. We've shot some really different content. So there's there's clearly tolerance for risk. Like you're trying lots of stuff. And yeah, I mean, we're like super lucky for that. Yeah. I mean, like super lucky in that, like my, my boss and his boss, we, me and the uh, executive producer, we really get to do so much. Like we, we kind of talk a lot about, there's no other jobs we've ever had where we've had so much creative expression and freedom and like so much space to kind of make mistakes and get things wrong and like really like kind of move the needle. Like we've had some incredible successes because we've taken a chance and a risk. Um, sometimes we try to hide those things from our bosses and then we, if they go badly, we'll, we'll continue to hide them or if they go well, we'll <laughs> scream and shout, but you know. <laughs> ben, do you think that has that like, is that risk-taking been just within your team or is it broader within the culture of Vivo? And how do you think, I mean, I get asked this question a lot, which is, you know, we end up taking a lot of risks at Wistia and making a lot of original content, doing a lot of stuff. And people are like, oh, well, obviously you guys are able to do that. But for us, it was kind of, you know, we took the first one and, and that worked and we took the next one and it didn't work, but it didn't hurt us. And then we, it, like, it, it grew over time. Has it always been like that? Or have you all, has your risk-taking on your team kind of changed how, um, how it's thought about overall at, at Vivo? I mean, I probably, I definitely can't take credit, but I think a lot of things happen at the same time. So I think like probably when I was, so I was originally in the London office. Um, and one of the advantages for working for an American company from far away is that no one cares about you, which <laughs> is unbelievably useful. Cause you can basically just, um, you can get away with absolute murder. It's fantastic. So 
I sort of, I became head of design for Europe and I suddenly realized like uh, Vivo's uh, kind of the assets we had at the time to play with, I didn't really like, and I found them quite challenging. And I thought, well, actually to make the best of this job, because I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to do this for. I was like, let's, let's throw everything away. Let's just go crazy. And I started to take big, like, you know, big um, professional risks as well. Cause you know, I could have, I wasn't really supposed to be doing that. And we had, um, we had a really big shoot with a really big artist. And I just decided to throw all the branding away and just do something that tailored to the artist. And I think like that was the most successful campaign at the time I'd ever done. The artist was like head over heels in love with it. Like the management loved it. And I think that for me was like, oh shit, this is like, I'm onto something. And I think around the same time in the US, the production side kind of started to do the same thing. So they started to look at the formats they had and start to just break out of them. It's like, actually these, these are kind of shit. Like let's do our own thing and let's, let's, let's make something that's super creative and take risks. And I think that's why um, one of the reasons why I was brought over is that alignment between the production side and the design side and saying like, actually like no one gives a shit about Vivo and that's fine. People give a shit about the artist. So actually let's like, let's really like play to that. Like we don't need to be like cuddled and, and hailed with a ticker tape parade. It doesn't, we don't need it. Like the artist is the person we're working for and we're supposed to be doing a rad job for. And like, if they're happy, what else do we need? You know, that's, that's all we should be like striving for. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to give advice to somebody else, would you tell them like open a European office and let them run wild or like, how did, how did, how do other people, because a lot of people want to figure out how to take more risks. They want to figure out how to take more risks, with their content with their brand. I mean, especially now in this moment, I think we're all being forced to tackle a different set of risks. What advice would you give people to try to create a space to do that? I think that's a really interesting thing. So like I'm, I'm working through, this is attached to a lot of things I'm working on at the moment, but if you talk about brand, a lot of it is about rules. As long as you, at the start of anything, set out what the rules are, but say, here's your space to play in, I think that builds um, a really great environment for creativity. So you say like, here's, you know, here's your space around the edge that you do not touch, you do not walk into this area, but everything in the middle, the floor is lava, like go crazy. Um, and I think making sure that you have that room to roll around and literally like, you know, like a, like a child on a meadow, like, you know, let, letting people play in a space is really important whilst having that barrier. And I think that's like, that's the brand side. As far as risk taking, it's just down to the, it's the, it's the team you have. That's all you, that's all you can do. Cause if you have a shitty team, you're not going to trust them to take risks because you can't, you know, they're going to, you know, you're like, no, I don't think I want these people to take a risk. Whereas if you trust them and you think like, okay, these people are amazing. I have to let them do this thing. That's when a business works. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like that simple answer of it's about the team is just so true. Like if you have that strong base of trust, you can actually let people go off and do things themselves. And you always run into trouble whenever somebody is trying to hold things really, really close. And you realize, well, maybe either you don't think your team is that good or your team isn't that good or whatever. But it's, it is interesting that it, it does come back to that. I'm I'm interested to hear from both of you. Like, so I I I don't think I'm a big risk taker. Um, and I get like it's one thing to say like, okay, we're gonna take this risk, and it's another to actually do it. So, what does it feel like in the moment? Like, are you in your head, or are you like, are you just like so creatively kind of liberated that you're super present? Like, what does it feel like? That's really interesting. Um. I think the problem is with, especially with design work, the stakes feel quite low at the time. <laughs> so you're like, oh, I mean, I'm not affecting anything. It's it's not until it's uh, it's not until it's kind of out there, millions of people have seen it, where you think, hmm, have I got away with this? Um, it's a really interesting question. I think like I think you have an initial hit of like, oh, cool, I'm going to go do something a little bit naughty, um, and like, or something that could easily fall flat on its face, or I could waste, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think that initial frisson of excitement then just goes away into like practicalities and i think that's what's i think what's interesting about working with music is like it's whenever i interview people for jobs i have to remind myself that this is a really cool industry and a cool job and like a lot of like you know i do we do some content that we don't you know we think about it we work really hard at it, but we do it for an hour and then we do something else and like eight million people see it and you're like oh it was just tuesday i don't know who cares like it's fine <laughs> um and I think like, that's the same thing with the risk. After a while, you're like, oh, it's just, it's just part of 
the life, I suppose. It's nice. What about you, Savage? For me, I think um, I can tell if if I'm not pushing on something that feels like a bigger enough risk, then I don't feel like I'm growing and I don't feel like the business is growing. So it's often a search for, oh, does that feel safe? And if that's safe, then it's not probably the right thing. Or it's if it's it, it, I mean, it depends on where it is in the business, right? Like there's things you definitely don't want to take a huge risk on, um, like the speed of which we're getting back to people in support. Probably we don't want to experiment with taking two weeks to get back to people. Probably not a good idea. But creatively, <laughs> I think you want to be thinking like the best, at least for me, the best stuff comes when you feel you feel like you're doing something that's pushing you and you're learning. And uh, so I'm I'm kind of addicted to it, in, and it's maybe a problem um, that I, I <laughs> live to take those risks. I love that feeling, and um, that's kind of how I evaluate big ideas. Like if it's like seems like a big idea is too safe, then I think to myself, well, it's probably we're probably not going to care as much and put as much into it if it's not risky. And if it's risky and you put your all into it, it should feel similarly many things to how they felt when we were smaller. That's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I suppose, <laughs> yeah, if you can do it in your sleep, you're not you're not putting your whole self into it. It makes perfect sense when you say it like that. What do you think in your career has been your biggest risk take? Like, what's what was the scariest thing for you? What kind of like what was it? Yeah, I mean, the biggest risk was definitely starting Wistia. Um, although it didn't that didn't feel like a risk at first because we were so deluded. You know, like we thought it was gonna be <laughs> such a short period of time that we would do it for. We're like, oh I'm gonna just I'm we're gonna do this for six months. We're not gonna if if it fails, we're not gonna tell anyone that we did it. And if it works, we'll tell them. And it just took so much longer than we thought. But it was so fun that it was incredibly easy to keep doing it. And then there's been a number of very large risks we've taken over the years at Wistia, um, you know, focusing on different customers. We've had decisions where we had a moment that was like, Wistia started as a way for people to securely and privately share video, but then we started to get traction with people embedding video and tracking how it's watched. And we had to decide, do we basically move away from the business that got us all our initial traction to this other one? And I, that was a really scary feeling. And it was so obvious, like we did that, and it was so obvious in hindsight that it was the right decision, but it was very, very scary to give up the thing that got us to where we were. But what what about you? What what's what do you think has been the biggest risk that you've taken? Huh. I think I've taken a few. Um I so in my I mean in my mid-20s, I was I was doing pretty well. I was working at um I was working at a merchandising company and I was the creative head for the company. Um, and I had a really great meeting one day and they said, oh, we're going to make you, a, you know, effectively, what would you call it here? Like a partner, like a director. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have shares and like, you know, you get a parking space and a, and a big Ooh. cuddle at the end of the year. Yeah, um, parking space. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> near, you know, near the, the boss's Mercedes. And like, I, you know, <laughs> unbelievable, like opportunity. And I was so like touched by it all. And it's like a family business. And I was like... But I had to just say, I'll think about it. And the next day I just said, I quit. I'm really sorry, but like, I, I can't do this. I'm, tw what was I, 26 years old. It's like, I, you know, I'm not ready for this. This doesn't work for me. And like, as a designer, I wasn't as good as I wanted to be. It's like, I didn't know how to do so many things. Like I'd, I'd watch something. I was like, I don't know how to do that. I want, I want to know how to do that. If I'm sat in a corner office all day, looking at my parking space, I'm not going to go learn how to do that. So I moved to London uh, from um, the Midlands, which is a grey part of the UK, which is best ignored. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, like, if I'm going to fuck up anywhere, I should fuck up in a big city. So um, I went and freelanced for uh, a while. And yeah, it worked out. I made enough money to feed myself and have a good time. And that was a big risk because I'd never freelanced before properly. Um, I'd never tried to find my own clients, which I found out very quickly is... 85 times more difficult than I thought it would be. Because yeah, you can have a conversation with someone. Yeah, you get three hours work, but three hours work doesn't pay for a great deal as it turns out. So yeah, it's, it's, it was really exciting and trying to build like clients which would come back. And also that kind of, it's a horrible thing of having to approach people and be like, hi, um, I'm really great. Would you like to work <laughs> with me? It's, it's really like, it ha you either build your confidence or it doesn't happen. It's really scary. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, was it, I mean, I know you moved to the US pretty recently, right? I think maybe 18 months before the pandemic yeah. began. Is that right? Did that feel like a similar risk to you or, or no? I don't know. It was a really, it, yeah, it was a really different risk though. Because obviously when we moved here, there was this, the job was there, sat there waiting for me. And like, I don't know, the biggest thing with that is like the admin to get into the United States is absolutely outrageous. I mean, bureaucracy rules the roost here. It's, it's amazing. So I think like for me, the main thing was just trying to get here was the biggest mountain. Like when, as soon as we got here, it, it felt really comfortable. Um, like New York is a city which I fell in love with when I was like 17 years old. And I was like, I want to live here. Um, and like when there was finally an option, it was like, this is no, there's no question. Like I'm coming. Like I've got to, even if I hate it, it's like, you got to live that train. Yeah. You got to try it. Yeah. So I don't think it, it ne honestly, like completely honestly, it never felt like a risk. It felt like, oh, this is just happening. This is a thing that's happening. Um, and it kind of, it was almost, it was almost even better because we, we were over here for like, we were weirdly seeing my wife has some family in Texas and we went over for a wedding. We came back to New York to find an apartment and we just, we managed to find one and we actually got the keys before we left. So the day we were going towards JFK, we sort of opened the door of this apartment. We're like, oh, cool. So we live here now. And then we flew back to the UK for a month. <laughs> so even when we were on the flight back to New York, we were like, oh, we're flying to our apartment. It was wow. like, that's fine. And how has it, how has it been? How do you feel? The dream. I mean, I'm not like, uh, I mean, if you completely ignore coronavirus, it's not a thing that's going on in the world. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's, it's actually, it's been really great. It's been really, really great. Like the, the interesting thing, the thing that's really great about New York that's so different to London is like this, the city, there's a city, but just outside it is so much stuff. Like the beach is wonderful. And then you've got like the mountains aren't very far. The Hudson Valley is gorgeous. I don't know. There's like, there's an accessibility to things outside the city, which actually is super special. And I think that's what's really surprised me. And also it's different enough to London. Like I think if you stayed in each city for three days, you'd say they're the same place, but they're very different and people are incredibly different. Like, um, I hate to say it, but I actually genuinely think New Yorkers are more friendly than Londoners, but I don't know. Wow. I, know. Really? I mean, I'll take it. I'm a native New Yorker. I'll take that. <laughs> I, wow, I don't know. You should, shocked. You should see me on the I'm tube speechless. at nine in the morning. I'm an angry person. It's horrible. <laughs> on the subway, I'm less like, I'm a serene, like I'm a ballet dancer moving through the carriage. It's, it's ridiculous. And what, is it, what does it feel like now? I mean, you're in the US. There's a time of enormous turmoil we have the coronavirus like what does it feel like to be here and to have moved here right before this whole thing uh i mean it, it really sucks it's not great like um i think there's there's so much that i've found that's been really positive and i've really enjoyed like it's been amazing but also you know not being able to see the like our families has been really shitty um not being able to go to like family events and also kind of the whole point of coming here was like, oh, cool, we're going to live in the US. We're going to explore, you know, America. We can't do that. I don't know. It's just like if it feels like that's all been taken away from us, we can't vote. So that's kind of stressful with everything that's going on. That is you know, stressful, the country's yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> the country's on fire. The country doesn't agree with itself. Like, it's, it's a lot, you know, and like, I think what <laughs> embarrassingly, what's always shielded us, me, friends, wife, all the rest. Like in London, we lived in a really beautiful little left-wing constituency of North London. And like moving here, it you know, New York does feel like a slightly different place. Um, and I know like, I know it's, it's not that simple, but it does feel a little bit separate. So sometimes I'm not gonna lie, I, d I do do the kind of equivalent of closing the blinds and putting the TV on because New York just feels safer in a way from the rest of America sometimes. I know it's not, and I know, like, I'm very aware, like, New York is not, <laughs> it's not that different, but it feels it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, the thing I think about is, like, all of this turmoil and pain and this, like, fracturing in American society clearly existed before. And now it's, like, being highlighted in a way, and it's definitely changing I would imagine what the world is thinking about. We're getting into some heady stuff. Uh, uh, and, and changing what I would imagine the world thinks about what America is right now. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a crazy, weird, effed up, 
bad time. Are there things that are that you're seeing out of this whole thing that have been like really good? Are there things that like positive lights that you see in this? I mean, yeah, I like I would say there's there's so many positives where I think I think what was interesting is so the first week it was like um we're like thinking about working with my team like the first week it was like oh cool we're, it's like it sucks it's weird we're on holiday we're gonna work soon and then you have like it's almost like the stages of grief where you ignore it and then you kind of accept it and all the rest and and then it was like oh, okay this is like the worst thing in the world this is going to be terrible like i hate this i i you know i don't want to exist in this universe and then like and then you move to acceptance and you suddenly realize actually like you can weather quite a lot as a as a person as a group of people and I think that's been really nice to feel like, oh, okay, cool. We can, we can actually, we can work around even this and that's cool. And then like another positive, I think like if you look at, um, I don't know, if you look at everything that kind of has been going on in the US, like, and I'm like referring to kind of like police brutality and like, you know, the, there's been a lot of highlighting and a lot of focus on racism in the US this year. And it's really hard to like, because it, it felt like it came out of nowhere in inverted commas. And the interesting thing, of course, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, it's just that like focus went on it. And that's really exciting and really great. And I think the nice thing is like the reaction from my team to kind of, you know, hold me to account and hold people above me to account. And also like we made some positive change, like the team, my team kind of like did in their own time, made some T-shirts and raised a load of money. And um, we're really active in, you know, challenging lots of things that I thought and didn't understand and understand. So yeah, it's been like, whatever you look at, sorry, wherever you look, um, I would say like negatives can turn to positives and I've learned a lot. And I think a lot of people have learned a lot and yeah, I mean, it's like, it's the same as anything. Everyone's going to come out with a black eye, but they'll come out feeling different and hopefully a little bit better. Like America, is not that different to the UK. It's very different in many ways, but I think like mindset wise, like both countries are center right to right. Like much as everyone pretends they're like these fabulous liberal like people, mostly people just want to make sure they have some money and um, <laughs> they're okay. And I think those mindsets carry through. And I think if everyone feels by the end of this, maybe slightly more empathetic and slightly more thoughtful, Maybe that's a nice thing. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, let's hope. I, that's I. I think let's hope everyone feels more empathetic because of this. And I, I, I think a lot about the resilience thing. Also, I feel like the stages of grief is such a great way to think about it. And I think we've all gone through that. Um, but the, on you know, at this moment, realizing that like this is good. This is a once in a century thing. Hopefully, you know. And this is this is the type of thing that so. <laughs> that is like we're living through history. And I think. The fact that we can get through it and figure out ways to do it um, is, you know, heartening. I think for the other side, that's what I think about it. Like, I, I think everyone will come out of this hopefully more resilient than we went into it. Can I ask a quick question? I was just going to say because, like, both of you are at the helms of of teams or of entire businesses, um, and you know, at least I've seen a bunch of of people, colleagues, just like burnt out. Like, how do you kind of how do you keep the motivation up? Like, what do you say to folks? Do you, yeah, what do you say to folks? Uh, that is, it's, it's, I mean, to be brutally honest, and like, I imagine, Chris, you're probably the same. Like, I, I pull it out of the bag, but there's some mornings where I go into my morning meeting and I'm like, ah, oh, today's going to be, because like, I, if I'm, if I'm not up, like, I need to, yeah, I need to psych myself up. And yeah, there are days where like, you know, this is a lovely apartment, but it's very small. And there's days where I just feel stuck and I feel creatively stuck and I feel stuck in my own head. And like, I'm surrounded, like I have a laptop here and my computer here and my phone is here and the TV is shouting at me in the corner. And it's like, and yeah, you just, you feel a bit overloaded. And actually last week I had that. And to be frank, what keeps me kind of going is like, I, you know, I got childish and I bought myself a, a BMX like I was... 19 years old and I go out on that sometimes <laughs> and I walk around a park and I don't know it's just simple things like I tell my team just go outside just turn off slack because slack I love slack it's the best but also slack is the bane of my life leave me alone <laughs> stop clicking click click it's, like, <laughs> it's ridiculous so I think like it's it's this I mean it's the same with anything you tell everyone to do something you're like go and take a break go do this I never do that 
yeah, it's it's this part of that life, but but that's the way to solve it. It's just getting away from it. But I don't know. I don't know what you think. Yeah, for me, I think it's uh, one meeting people where they're at. So like, you know, giving people more time off talking about what's hard, like the zoom all day is horrific. It, you know, the slack all day is also bad. We've been trying to we've already always had that what we call it like an untracked vacation policy, which basically means like unlimited vacation, we trust you be an adult, blah, blah, but people didn't under, know or understand exactly how much that meant. So we've been saying, please take at least three weeks a year and most people take three to five weeks a year. And then we're telling new employees to take vacation. So we're like, please, like you started two weeks ago, but you should be taking a vacation too. You don't have to like, like <laughs> That's take, interesting. It, because people just, it's so hard to take care of yourself in this moment. And I think that's a really important thing. And even if you're staying at home, I think you're right. Like I, I find myself going to childish things as well. And like playing video games again and all these things that I like didn't do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, I think you have to do whatever you can to like take care of yourself. And yeah, I think it's being really clear about what we need. Like, you know, we've tried to switch a lot of things from being synchronous to asynchronous, um, writing more stuff up in advance of things, trying to have less meetings. I have a, I have a silly question because yeah. you say this a lot. What does synchronous and asynchronous communication mean in the startup yeah, world? Yeah, like instead of having to be in a meeting, aka synchronous, uh, I guess you could just say <laughs> meetings, right? Are you calling me on this right now, Sylvie? <laughs> no, no, I'm just... Uh, basically, I'm I mean, it's like instead of just having know. meetings, write stuff up, or make a video, use something like Soapbox, make a video and send it over because everyone is operating on a slightly different schedule. Like you don't know what's happening at home. You don't know who, whose partner's doing what and what's happening with kids and whatever. And so we've tried to make it so that there's very, there's less, we're not perfect by any stretch, but trying to make it so that there is less stuff that is pulling you away from where you're at. And then I think the other thing is like, I mean, a lot of this is like, um, it's the oxygen mask thing, right? It's like, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first if you want to take care of other people. And it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the way I think about it for me is before the pandemic, you know, in my commutes, I always listened to podcasts or listen to audiobooks, And I saw lots of friends and all these like creative conversations and ran into other people running out of their businesses. And those ideas would mesh and fuel and come back and motivate me to try to do new things. And I was missing that in the pandemic. And so I started finding ways to bring it back. So like I'm doing workouts, I'm listening to podcasts instead of music, which seems kind of funny, but it actually has helped in terms of getting other inputs into my brain. And I've purposely tried to call other people and FaceTime people and stuff to have those run-ins and conversations that were happening otherwise and that were fueling me. And if I'm fueled and feeling motivated, it's so much easier, I think, to give that to other people. So question to you, do you, do you think since the pandemic started, you've listened to more podcasts than, um, than, than music now? Yes, absolutely. Because I, I, I say that because I definitely, I, I find myself reaching for just people talking in the background all of the time. And like last night, actually, I, I was listening to something and someone played music in the background. And I was like, oh, music. I forgot about this. <laughs> and then I, you know, I put my headphones on and had a wonderful three hours of just listening to music. But like, I've been really wanting and enjoying having a podcast rambling even if i'm not taking it in i've been really enjoying that kind of that background narrative it's really yeah. interesting well it's funny because i think you know if you're going to the office every day from my experience was like you know i had my meetings and stuff but i would walk through and see people having conversations and you pop into them or you overhear them or it puts a thought in your head or someone else comes out of me and they tell you this thing or there's a recommendation for some book or all these inputs all day long and then when you're just in meetings or your own time, you're not getting all those other inputs. And so it's where do they come from? And like, where, where who is the peer group that's like motivating and, because and great creativity comes from a, a lot of ideas. Like, it's like you pull the ideas together. And so, yeah, for me, it's been, it's been interesting. And it's, it's funny that it's also true for you, especially because you work at Vivo. That's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I have to, I have to, um, actively listen to new music so that I can answer all questions. Um, I think, I think the biggest problem, like when you go back to talking about the office, for me, the big problem is like, I, so I function really well with my hands and like, pointing at things and shouting and running around a room. Like the whole point of me having a meeting is I get to stand at the front and point at stuff and hit things. And so <laughs> me on Zoom is terrible. That's like 30% of me, me just stood here talking. It's 
rubbish. I can barely speak. What really what <laughs> I need is I need to be able to point at stuff and I you hear know, you. Add, I, add yeah. <laughs> I hear you on that too. Yeah. Maybe you need a standing desk <laughs> and you need like a, an easel board behind you that you just get to like point at yeah, but, all the time. Oh, I could have, it could have sort of a something here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe right. you need cutouts of coworkers <laughs> sitting around the table behind you and then you can really feel like you're there with them. Are you saying my wife's, like my wife's jigsaw puzzle isn't quite enough? To- <laughs> <laughs> We're going to design your whole apartment. Um, just, just so you can gesticulate. Yeah, no, I, that sounds good. Yeah, it is. It's funny. I feel like before the pandemic, uh, meetings, extroverts had an advantage, right? And it was like getting fueled and like talking. And now I think on Zoom, it kind of is switching to introverts because it's you have to be ready with your thought you have to know exactly. You could be very patient, and you you know raise your hand or whatever. And then you speak this cogent thing, and it's definitely like different to like work a room or like control a room virtually than it is in person. Yeah, I mean, I think you can tell from this conversation. What happens on Zoom is I end up filling the last silence with nonsensical rubbish, um, <laughs> which I which is really weird. I don't do that in real life, but there's something around. There's that. Is that intangible pause on zoom where everyone blankly stares at you and thinks yeah i should reply that's just enough time for my brain to say oh i should add um maybe uh uh," which you know it doesn't reflect well on me yeah you know you know what i feel bad about is i'm in a lot of interviews these days um like interviewing potential candidates and i'm taking notes and so they're talking and i'm taking notes blah 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 and then they there's a pause and there's like you know four people it's silence and I just feel like they must just be getting feeling horrible in that moment <laughs> and then like any questions like <laughs> no all good <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> yes of course there's times when they get the questions but it's like in person you would that would just never happen um, no because I I think like I, I I don't know I think the flow you have with people is so much easier yeah yeah, yeah. you can just like read you can read a room more literally than you can read a zoom room yes yes yeah I, I i can't i'm i'm the same as you sydney i just like i fill i fill the awkward silences with like like sometimes i'll just go like buddy that's all she does just, savage yeah. knows i just make sounds just like, <laughs> like, okay <laughs> it's a strange strange finance meeting just yes so Sydney, as you know, the show is based on the idea that when I get excited about something, I talk too loud. You know, if it's an idea, a product, a person, whatever, like I can't help myself. So what what right now is getting you talking too loud? What's getting your? It, maybe you don't talk too loud. What's I kind of think you do though. What do you, what's getting you talking too loud these days? What's getting you gesticulating? Uh, so I mean, obviously, I listened to your previous podcast, so I did know you were going to ask me this question, and I walked around yesterday thinking about it, and I. <laughs> briefly thought about this morning and I came up with absolutely everything all of the time. (laughs) So like, I mean, so I, and I thought about this and I ended up getting far too deep. I mean, honestly, like yesterday I was wandering around and I was like, Oh, what, what, what if we are referring to art? What if you're referring to design? And then I thought about how much the world pisses me off. And then I thought about the fact that California is on fire. And then I thought about the fact that you know, like I, I can't go watch sports in an arena with a with a big hot dog, and that really irritates. So, and then I got into a grumpy kind of like seventy five year old kind of you know man <laughs> in his second home screaming at someone for growing a hedge too high, and that felt <laughs> slightly, slightly <laughs> a little too far for me. So then I kind of came back and I, and I, I really got lost for a while. So then I kind of thought about, do you know what? Like honestly, the 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 biggest thing for me is like. It's it's all of these this distractions, and like I think, I uh, I just need a couple of days without notifications. I just everything's pinging all the time, and I think like sometimes my best work, and actually this week my best work's been done at around sort of ten eleven at night, because like I've just been I could just work, and like last night I go into a zone, and it happens every so often. When like uh, basically like my team will kind of come up with some concepts and then I'll start to flesh those out a little bit more. And I was kind of starting to animate some concepts my team sent me. And there's a really weird thing that happens after about two hours in, you suddenly 
get comfortable enough with it that you start to really flow and like push and like things just happen and like time unfortunately doesn't slow down so you eat up four hours like you know like it's 10 minutes but like everything just snaps and clicks and that's so exciting and I think that comes from that kind of like the world suddenly shrinks down and especially because it gets dark and everything kind of just closes in and there's a point when like the podcast ends or the album ends and you don't even notice you're just like going and going and going and that's like the that's that's a really nice time and when you catch yourself in it you have to remember like that's that's ultimately is a creative way you want to live like where that that moment when you're like you're almost an insane person who shouldn't be let out of the house but also you're like you're like a high functioning kind of like designer and that's a that's an amazing place and that for me is like like honestly that's what excites me about being a creative every day is like when you're in a place where you're excited by your own work it's just like yes I'm doing a thing which is interesting and right now I know it looks bad you're kind of telling the other side of your brain you're like I know it looks yeah. shit right now but in like in like an hour this is going to be like fire I can't wait yeah so you're basically it seems like what's getting you fired up is like the time in the zone in the middle of the night no notifications just like <laughs> full creative flow yeah I mean it's gotta be it's like it's the thing that it's the thing that excites me to do my job it's like it's when you get into that place when you're like I could just be a creative. I could just design this. I can, you have those moments where you're like, I can literally design anything. You can't. I mean, who's kidding? I can't design a house. But you have those moments where you're like, I can do anything. Yeah. I can design it. I can design a skyscraper. It'd be fine. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, look, Sydney, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for, for coming on Talking Too Loud. And uh, I can't wait till someday when we can talk too loud in person. I'd love to meet in real life and wave my hands around. <laughs> but hey, it was really nice to like talk. It was really interesting. And like, I'd love to, honestly, I'd love to talk in real life one day. Awesome. Let's do it. Sydney Emery. What a nice guy. What a nice British man. Full of amazing tattoos that our audience didn't get to see, but maybe they will. Yes, I wish, I wish they could have seen. Very impressive. Very impressive. Um, yeah, it was interesting to get the perspective of somebody who has only been in the U.S. for, you know, a year and a half before the pandemic happened and kind of did the come to the U.S., take a big risk, do the awesome, you know, chart your own path, build something thing in New yeah. York City. And then yeah. to be like, well, now I'm stuck in my apartment. But he had like he had he had a really nice take on it. I, th I mean, like very real, like, yeah, sometimes you feel boxed in and sometimes it's claustrophobic and, and also like that this was his dream and it, it didn't feel like, or it doesn't feel like this, it's like this has crushed that dream by any no. means. I mean, I think it's a lot of the conversation around creative risks, right? It's like took a risk to come here and like, there's going to be some things that don't work and there's a ton of stuff that is working, which is, it's cool. I mean, obviously talking about creative versus one of my favorite topics because it's like, how I do know. you create an environment where you can do that? How do you, how do you create the those runs? Yeah, the, that's right. The <laughs> Maverick personality profile, predictive index. Yeah. It's, and it was cool to hear about just the sheer number of projects they're doing and, you know, 840 Jesus, projects a year. That was crazy. That's that crazy. Was wild. And a hundred projects during the pandemic. That's, he's yeah. like, that's not that many. I'm like, that I seems know. like a lot. He was like, uh, it's a bit. And I was like, it's a lot. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to imitate you, but <laughs> Sydney. Good impression. Um, Good impression, Sydney. <laughs> and actually, it's funny, you know, right after we recorded the interview, and obviously the outro was recorded after the interview, I was like, I need five minutes. Ran outside. Look who I saw just <gasps> on my street. Is that a cool oh. dad? Is that, dare I say, Daniel Mills, creative director of Wistia Studios? Currently on parental leave, but happened to be wow. on the sidewalk in front of my parents' house in Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> even, even when he's not with us. He's still with he's us. He's with us. Yes, yes. He really can do it all. Um, yeah, <laughs> so anyway, that was fun. And uh, I'm excited for you, Sylvia. I'm excited that you have your new apartment. There's no leaks. I appreciate the fact that you kept the AC off so that this would sound <laughs> of high quality. As a podcast producer extraordinaire, that seems like a good thing to do. Yeah, and I appreciate... Uh, I appreciate the vibe of, of creating an environment where risks 
should be taken and can be taken. And, and you and Sydney, you leaned into that. So here's to more episodes, more risk taking in the future. I'll see you. I'll see you in two weeks. Awesome. See you then. And if you if you want more from Wistia, please check out Wistia Studios. We have a bunch of new shows coming out and we want your feedback. So rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We want your feedback. Please send me an email um, if you if you have something that you loved or something you hated or something else you want us to cover. You can find my email on the Internet. I'm not going <laughs> to say it here. And I uh, hope you have a great day. Bye, Sylvie. Bye, world. Bye, Savage. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Josh Solarski. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com. <laughs>